Yes, hello. It is time for Less Than Jay's. We are facing the music, Jake. Time to face the music. Time to come on here and and, and face the music after a relatively know, low stakes, not low stakes, but relatively low tension large part of the season. We come off a weekend with the Blue Jays drop two of three to the Yankees and were, I will say, perilously close to getting uh, blown out in the game, in the third game and and really making this feel like a disaster. I think they saved some face with the big comeback in the 10-9 win on Sunday. But, uh, you know, if, if the 8-3 deficit on Sunday afternoon was your dark night of the soul for the season, it is time to sort of deal with the ramifications of that as well as a split. Almost, maybe people people maybe even felt worse about the split against Baltimore than they did against the, than they did with the, the two losses to the Yankees. What do you think about that? Uh... I get that. <laughs> I mean, losing to a team that's only lost 17 games all year uh, is certainly um, more defensible, I think, than losing to a team like the Orioles, who have seemingly been in rebuild mode for six years. Right. But, um, you know, as podcast Blue Jays podcast hosts and reframing and sort of reflecting on the weekend that was, I will say that their comeback in yesterday's game certainly makes our job more difficult. (laughs) It's about the, in terms of reflecting on what the weekend means, that's about the worst way you can come back and win to basically say, who knows? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was, it, it does paper over. What could have been a fairly concerning weekend? Um, we will obviously dive into it a in depth in here in just a little minute. There's also a couple of small things. Uh, Hyunjin Ryu, which we talked about last week a little bit, uh, shut down for this season. That is not all. Uh, Nate Pearson don't have a. I, don't, I haven't seen clarification quite yet on what happened, but left a rehab start after just two pitches or a rehab start, a Triple A start after just two pitches. Uh, Kikuchi um, looks like the May adjustments have gone back to June. Uh, fallbacks, some articles written this week, one in the Star, I believe, about about sort of, you know, this is who Kikuchi is, this this up and down, this roller coaster, and then uh, I thought an interesting piece today in Sportsnet about the different approaches they could have at the trade deadline. It is just around the corner for trade deadline season, which is why I will say, Jake, and I will talk first about the weekend, uh, I was, and this is not to Homerism, this is not to we want the team to win because we are fans sort of conversation. But I was pretty, cl- not pretty clear, but pretty close to midway through Sunday afternoon sort of thinking that maybe a bit of a good thing that we are getting a wake-up call here in late June. We, a certain type of fan, I think, the Yankees loss was good for. Not the type of fan that... Uh, is calling in and being like, see, see, or, you know, reveling <laughs> in it. But I think the type of fan like us who, who you know, our refrain through the runners and scoring position issues, through the, um, you know, the strength of schedule conversation, through Kirk maybe scuffling, through a number of things that have gone wrong, Bo Bichette going a little cold, uh, Vladdy having his part where he the launch angle was down. Our refrain through most of that has been, 
it's going to be fine. They're a talented team. Things are going to be fine. And listen, caveats in place. They they caught the Yankees at a terrible time to catch the Yankees. Maybe the worst time in in years to have caught the New York Yankees. To be to be <laughs> frank with you, where they're playing as the best offense and the best uh, pitching staff in the league, and are like on a crazy heater and hitting everything. And um, I think maybe aside, of course, you would love to have swept the series. Maybe a bit of a nice wake up call for people like us, like you and I. Um, the more optimistic fans, as well as the team itself, to sort of get a look and say, listen, no question this is a talented team. No question this is, you know, maybe the best team they've put on the field uh, in more than six, seven years. Maybe maybe they are better than 2015, but they are not a complete team. It is, they are not, they, they haven't finished it. It's not um, unbeatable. There are some great nights in the offense, as we saw on Sunday, can put it together when everybody is clicking and compete with anyone. But there, there is some work to do still. They, they've, they've grown. They've had, uh, I think they're probably a year or two ahead of schedule. But the puzzle is not complete, so to speak. Not to say that they aren't talented. Not to say that they, that they couldn't make zero changes and go on a big run still and beat the Yankees two of three. Just, that's just how baseball works. Um, but where do you land on that? I'm sort of coming out of this feeling like, okay, good to get this out of the way a month before the trade deadline because now we have very clear like very clearly they're going to need bullpen help the bullpen has been um at its best it was pretty good at its worst it's been a little um nerve-wracking i think aside from romano garcia hasn't been exactly what we had hoped for and um, looks like richards is sort of fading out of view and we've talked a couple times that we love simber but maybe a guy that suffers from overuse um where are you landing on the lessons from sunday and the weekend I mean, to hopefully not make too obvious a statement, uh, as you sort of hinted at, it's always good to find uh, your, to have your weaknesses exposed in June, then July or August, uh, or specifically after the trade deadline when you can no longer fix those weaknesses. Big time. Um, But yeah, I... You know, I was kind of joking off the top about how the the comeback win made it hard to evaluate properly, but I'm also not really joking. Like, I think that the troubling thing with baseball when it comes to analyzing a series like this is because the season's so long, it's, this is going to sound like a cop-out, but it, it's hard, like, a series in June is both a month away from the trade deadline and only a series in June. That's right. If, if that makes sense. So, like, I, I obviously, I don't think it tells us much about where either of these teams will be in September. Um, and I don't think that it necessarily shows that there is a gulf of talent difference, although I also understand that the scoreboard might tell a bit of a different story there, which is fair. Uh, really, I think it just... More than anything, it exposes the pitching needs that the Blue Jays have. For sure. And like, sure, they didn't score any runs on Saturday. But, you know, the Yankees pitching has been unbelievable to start the year. And that's going to happen against a team that's pitching well and hot like that. And the de- their defense is hot. And, you know, you can make some arguments about the umpiring on Saturday. Or if you want to make some arguments with the runners in scoring position, hitting, you can, but that one concerns me less, especially because we had that that conversation like seven times last year. Right. And then as the season went on, they figured it out and they 
did what they had to do and it got better and everyone kind of stopped talking about it. If you want to make the argument that we're now having that conversation in the first half of the season for two years in a row, and if that says something, I think that's fair. And, you know, they didn't really settle it down last year until Springer was playing regular minutes and they got brought Corey Dickerson at the trade deadline and benches got a little... I don't want to say shorter because that's not worse, but you know what I mean. So sure. a, a more cohesive one through nine came into play. And, you know, I do have some concern of the fact that outside of, you know, maybe a different bat than Zimmer or Biggio, the lineup seems, at, offensively, the lineup seems to be pretty close to set. Like, yes, you can bring in a left-handed bat at the deadline, maybe even a very big left-handed bat, which obviously changes the entire complexity, complexion of the lineup, uh, especially if it's like a big, big name and all of a sudden it's a murderer's row one through six, uh, or seven maybe. But I do think that runners in scoring position hitting will work itself out when need be, especially considering there's still 10, 11 games above 500. Um, but to me, the biggest concern is giving up 12 and 10 runs, or 12 and 9 runs, I should say, uh, in three games. And the fact that, you know, Ryu is now gone for the year. Kikuchi's a giant question mark. Um, I guess the good thing you can say is that, like, a bad Manoa game is only a 4 nothing loss to the best team in baseball. Uh, you know, Barrios it was good, but against the Orioles, uh, we've said many times our feelings on Ross Stripling as a long-term solution, and then you get to the bullpen and you start worrying. You know, that's getting thin mighty quick. Uh, obviously, obviously, no one expects you know Max Castillo to be the guy to come in and settle the bullpen down, but you know, I don't know how much the team is trusting Jimmy right now, which, you know, he's been up and down. And really, though, it seems like their only go-to guys in terms of who they trust is Romano and Simber, and you could probably put Meza and maybe Phelps in there. Right. And that's just not enough right now. But as we've discussed, that is easy to fix, and that does happen at deadline every year with good teams. But I do think it showed sort of... If you want to make the argument of... You know, what's the difference right now between the Yankees and the Jays, other than the Yankees just being unbelievably hot? Uh, it has to be the pitching. For sure, and, it's the pitching, and especially the bullpen. Yeah, and it's it's become, you know, it's it's interesting to me because it's different than last year. Or last year, it was like, wow, they didn't get a bullpen at all to start the year. And it was just like, it was a disaster other than a couple guys. And this year, it's more, you know, it's a long season, and guys get hurt. Like, you know, Richards is now on the DL, IL, um, and uh, a lot of those guys just aren't good. You know, I think Charlie's done a pretty good job bullpen managing this year, and this weekend was sort of <laughs> the good and the bad of Charlie, I guess, of going to Trent Thornton early and twice, and also bringing Romano in in the eighth, which I thought was a great call. Big time. Uh, that was big time move. The five out in Rano save. That was that was major. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think it's just 
I don't want, I don't think there's too many major conclusions to be drawn, I guess is a long roundabout way of saying. But I do think it was useful with the Jays to show it pretty much showed exactly what this team is. They can come back from any score at any time in any game, but they could also be in a position where they need to come back from any score at any time in any game because the pitching's just on the whole, save for some individual performances, it's not there right now. And we've also seen, I don't know what a step back, but a, a some concerning trends around Gosman in the last little bit as well. Sort of the that hasn't that certainly hasn't helped uh, the the is he tipping pitches or are teams just sort of waiting on him or or whatever it may be. That certainly hasn't added to uh, the thing. No, as you said, I think obviously a lot to unpack there with with that, but. Um, the bullpen is the, sort of the fastest and easiest one for me, and the big difference. Like you, you just sort of see Sunday, notwithstanding how with the with the Yankees, like um, you get into that bullpen and you sort of you're you're in trouble if you're behind when they when they get into their Clay Holmes when they when they get into their guys, um, it, it gets late quick against the Yankees as as they are uh, wont to say. So yeah, I mean we've gone over. Many times on this show, obviously, the, a, a, another piece on the bench, another bat, another hitter you can bring in, specifically somebody left-handed, has been a need uh, since day one. But I think your point to, you know, the, the bullpen, as much as it, it is a need at this moment, like there are there are weeks in May and April where, where as you said, the difference between last year and this year is just the competence that they came into the year with really saved them. I think we are seeing now that... You know, the Yankees are the measuring stick. The, the the thing about this weekend on the other side of it for me was like, other than the Yankees, I don't this nobody else puts this feeling in in our hearts and heads anywhere in the league. I think they're singularly like it's it's going to be. Can they beat the Yankees? How do they measure up to the Yankees? Is sort of the way that this is entirely going to be measured because, you know, otherwise I mean the Rays are always a unique brand of thing. Otherwise, you sort of when they play the Central, these measuring sticks don't come out. When they played Houston, and I believe grabbed the tiebreaker from Houston, this sort of stuff didn't. This feeling didn't come out. There's nobody, you know. I guess Boston in that wild card race that you would think this way about, but just an interesting sort of check in, a nice part of the season, I think, to sort of get this idea of what exactly needs to be done. So. Uh, yeah. I mentioned I mentioned the Sportsnet article. I don't know if you read it. Hilariously, hilariously, Jake. I found this pretty funny. Um, <laughs> oh, that all of our trade ideas are in there? Well, I'm not going to say all of them. <laughs> I'm not going to say all of them, Jake. But I'm going to say this. I'll say this much, Jake. And listen, we love these guys. I love Ben. I love Shy. Uh, they, they, so they, they break theirs into, you know, basically the Jays have opportunity to upgrade starting pitching, relief pitching, and position players. Every single place, there's a, there's a way to upgrade, and there's two ways to go about it. Do you add depth or do you take a big swing, they called it. Uh, and their swing big pros- the prospect guys that they could like, the swing big guys they could chase in starting pitching, uh, Luis Castillo, and in position players, <laughs> they say, what about Joey Votto? So, <laughs> <laughs> another week, another week of, uh, you know, Rodney Dangerfield of podcasts here. We get we get no respect. <laughs> no respect. <laughs> we're no just respect. floating. We're just floating the ideas out for other. We're the 
we're the indie lo-fi band that has their song ripped off by the bigger band. <laughs> doesn't we'll great. We're we're the Pixies. We'll get credit for it in 20 years. So, uh, all that is to say the the so your your sort of swing big um maneuvers that they outline is is we talked about this before Frankie Montes from Oakland um the the walk rate very low the strike rate rate high uh Luis Castillo who we had seen uh from the Reds and then the the sort of the depth moves would be someone like Chad Cool uh Zach Davies Jordan Lyles Jose Quintana maybe German Marquez guys that are similar to the Stripling Ray Taiwan Walker mold where it's like good pitchers with good track records that have one red flag. With with Ray, with Ray, it was like he was a reclamation project and was suddenly bad. Walker had injury risks, and Stripling, of course, was a guy exactly as we've seen is like isn't ideally a fifth starter swing guy, not somebody that you're going to go into the playoff series and be like Stripling gets game three sort of thing. When you lay out, when you get those two things laid out to you, and, I know, and listen, I know we're we're the, we're usually big swing guys. Um, because it's Ryu, because it's the fifth spot in the rotation, because you have Stripling, where do you land on how big the pitching addition would would I would be for you uh, in this situation? Personally, I would prefer them to swing big if we're talking just pitching. Because also, like as that article laid out, there's three places to improve. Obviously, they cannot and will not swing big on all three. Right. Because that's just... No, that's insane. First of all, and they and like as much as I am a trade all the prospects guy, which I am, I also think trying to go big on all three is a mistake, unless there's like something you can't say no to. Yeah. When it comes to the pitching, personally, I would prefer them to go big in the bullpen. Makes sense. I think that on a good day, you know, I'm pretty comfortable with Gosman, Manoa. Barrios as your one, two, three. And I think you can add a fourth guy for relatively low price or as a throw in another part of a deal. Cause like, I don't, they don't, as you know, they noted in the article last year or last year, as I know in the article today, you know, the, the Barrios trade was a big name prospect mm-hmm. in Austin Martin. Uh, but that trade happened to just be a perfect fit at the right time. And I don't think they need to necessarily go and get another starting pitching stud. I, of course, would be thrilled if they did. Like, if you want to go get Frankie Montas or Luis Castillo, like, by all means, uh, don't let me stop you. But I kind of, I am comfortable with the top three right now. I do think they need to add another starter. Um, I just don't think it has to be a 1A, 1B guy. Yeah, uh, and if you're going to, you know, take a big swing and send out prospect capital, which they don't seem to like to do, uh, more than they have to, I guess. Let's say uh, it has to be very I, worth it for them to to ship yeah. off. And I think I think I'd prefer them to do that in the bullpen and just like really stack the pen because, you know, as you pointed out last week. If you really, really need to in a playoff game, you can go Stripling and Kikuchi and the bullpen mm-hmm. in a game. And so I would prefer, and I'm very comfortable in the other three games with the other three guys. Yeah. So I would prefer them to beef up the pen than to beef up the rotation. Yeah, I think I think the idea of what they need to do with the starting pitching, I think to me it's an indicator of 
are you thinking about the sprint to the end of the season, or are you thinking about a playoff series? Because it seems yeah. pretty clear that you're with me, that you're thinking about the playoff series. You're thinking about, let's yes. get the three guys that matter, that give us the fighting chance to win, and then we'll figure out game, we'll figure out the, you know, either somebody goes on short rest if they have to, or we'll figure out the other thing. As you said, the the bulk guy. So I'm, I'm with you. I think I lean, I lean to the reclamation project thing there as well. To try I mean, to get look, the it's guy. June... It's June 20th, and there are 11 games back in the division. Yeah. I'm not saying they should punt the division by any means, because it's a long season, and they've been in and around this far back at this time the year before and still won the division. But I do think that at a, they should just... I think they shouldn't be prepping for making sure they win games in August, I guess is my point. For sure. Um, similar conversation in the bullpen. I'll just go through some of the names they bring up because, listen, we're not going to sit here and be like, we're guys who know about the bullpens on teams we don't watch. <laughs> no, absolutely not. <laughs> kind of what the fuck do you think? Uh, <laughs> there's the, there's the uh, sort of the ad depth ones, which is, which is I think similar to what we saw them do last year. We talked about this before. Is guys that weren't having like, I don't know that Richards and I don't know that um, Simber was like, they weren't lighting the world up. They weren't incredible. It was like, we can get something out of these guys. Um, to provide us some stability. Uh, it's guys like Steve Ciszek, uh Sergio Romo, uh, Noe uh, Ramirez, uh, who lead the majors in, with appearances. Um, they, tried that, they tried that last year, they note here, with Brad Hannon, Joaquim Soria, and the biggest wings, uh, longer-term pieces like Gregory Soto, David Bednar, um, David Robertson, closing right now for the Cubs with a 12.94 per nine strikeout rate. I would like uh, Michael Fulmer, 2.16 ERA with the Tigers. Uh, Andrew Chafin, a lefty with a player option for next year. Um, so there's 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 your options there, I think. Um, I also think it's important to keep in mind as well, especially for fringe starter guys, fringe bat guys, fringe, bu- fringe bullpen pieces, or that may not even be fringe, but are just fringe in terms of deals. Like... Bad teams in baseball have no problem giving guys away for nothing. Especially like, relievers. Especially relievers. Last year, they traded literally Joe Panic for Simber and Dickerson. Like, Adam Simber is our second best, second most reliable reliever, and they got him for a guy who's now retired. Yeah, Joe Panic, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's um, like, yeah, I, those kind of deals are a dime a dozen, which is why I think you have to reserve the swing big for the big swing, so to speak. Yeah, um, Victor, uh, Josh Goldberg from uh, the Detonated for Assignment Pod also lists out uh, Victor Arano, um, Lou Trevino from Oakland, Daniel Bard, Alex Colomay from Colorado. Again, not not going to sit here and uh, learning learned a lesson from the history of watching from what I've watched that like the the reliever who has a great second half of the year a lot of the time you have no idea who it's going to be and it comes well, out of nowhere. Who would have thought Adam Simber would? be what was his era when he came to the jays this year like 0.9 yeah and like, i mean jordan romano is the example like the guy was a, he was a rule five guy the year right. before he broke out like <laughs> just to think oh yeah he's gonna be uh lead the league in saves through through late june um two years ago it's completely absurd so um you gotta trust that the diligence is being done there um and the other danger, of course, I think, as you mentioned there, that, you know, bad teams sometimes are willing to give away relievers for nothing. Um, sometimes relievers on bad teams are just, like, cruising through life because nothing really matters for them. <laughs> I would also keep that in mind so that can make it hard. Uh, and finally, we'll just 
go through this quickly. I think we talked about this a couple of times as well. Um, depth in the position, fielding, sort of hitting sphere. I think anything but catcher basically is what you're looking at here. Um, just outlining, of course, that right now that's Kevin Biggio. Right now that's Ryan Maltapia. And very bottom, of course, is Zimmer. It's basically a question of like, do you think those guys are going to continue how they played lately or pick up their play overall to be worth be part of the support group or is it a necessary uh, upgrade sort of situation? There's a there's a bunch of guys, Bailey Ober, Dane Dunning, uh, Austin Riley, Adam Duvall. Um, uh, yeah, there's a there's a there's a bunch of those guys sort of kicking around there. Mike Mustakis is a name that they said uh, fits the fits the bill here. He's owed a little bit um, the year before, but Mike Mustakis, you remember of course from Kansas City. Uh, another guy, the Reds exodus. There's Carlos Santana, switch hitter, uh, who is underperforming sort of his expectations and is a Cleveland guy. Uh, Charlie Blackman, who could be could be a I thought Coors, that was a really interesting name. Could be a Coors Field guy, depending on how you feel about it. Ben Intendi, Tyler Nakin, uh, Ben Gamel, Cole Calhoun, Josh Bell, Robbie Grossman, Ian Happ, uh, all your guys that would constitute sort of a small swing. And your bigger swings, they say... Is, would it be so crazy to go get Joey Votto if it meant <laughs> you also <laughs> to go and Castillo? I can't believe it. I laughed so hard at that. <laughs> they, they build the entire article around what about Castillo and Votto. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus, Jake. So thank God we we think we're good because nobody else is going to, right? Obviously. Well, it's not no one thinks we're good. It's just they haven't heard it or they have heard it and they're – We present – We present – quiet about it. You know, not to give us too much credit, but we present a very silly, unserious tone. And I think, you know, you read between the lines, you're going to be ahead of the game more often than not. You listen to us. That's just that's just, that's just the truth. It's just the truth, right? Well, like, it's just the we, truth. We joke a lot about things we've predicted coming true and, like, we're – I don't know. I don't want to sound like an arrogant dick or anything. Like, we are right a lot. <laughs> what did you predict last week for Vladdy also? Because he hit a bunch of home runs this week, and I was like, oh, my God, he did Oh, I don't, re- I don't even remember. Oh, that's too funny. Uh, the big swing, they just say, they just say Joey Votto. That's their fucking big swing idea. Yeah, that's because hol- so because Soto and Shohei aren't happening. Hilarious to me. Um, lots of names in there. We've been over a bunch of them. We've been over Ben Attendee before. We've been over Josh Bell before. Um. Interesting. Ian Happ could be an interesting one. Listen, you, you get what you're paying for with those guys. It's, it's a dice roll, similarly as it was to Dickerson, as it will be with anybody sort of in that level of a depth guy. I, I, my hope is just a, a, somebody that can, that can defend, play a little defense and hit a little, because um, somehow Ryan Altapia's skill set does not add up to a good defender. All, <laughs> Matt, on, on paper, that makes no sense, but... In practice. Well, your comment at the beginning of the season that if you sort of combine Tapia and Zimmer, you'd have one full baseball player uh, seems to be true. would be amazing, wouldn't it? Uh, and even with Tapia playing better lately, it's still like on the whole uh, not what you want for a bench guy on a contender that actually plays multiple times a week. I would say this the other day. I'm glad you brought that up about Tapia. It's crazy to me how much – not us necessarily – but how much patience the fandom had for Randall Grichuk, who is, by every measure, demonstrably worse than Rival Tapia. And, and everyone's like, ugh, Tapia. Which is correct, by the way. I'm not sitting here being like, everyone should be on board the Tapia train. I'm just saying, he's better than the guy who was doing the job last year. 
Well, yeah, I mean, not, <laughs> not every measure, <laughs> home run, like home runs, but yeah, absolutely, exactly right. Um, Grichuk is like the third worst hitter in the league this year, for sure, uh, and he is uh, also. It is worth it is worth pointing out. Grichuk also providing uh, negative value depending on where you look. Right now, right now, it's a thrilling minus point seven to minus point two race in the Grichuk versus Tapia uh, <laughs> Again, baseball. I am not war. suggesting Tapia is the answer. <laughs> I'm just saying everyone was real patient until they weren't. Uh, and F- Fangraphs has it as oh, Fangraphs has it as minus point six for for Grichik, uh, and I'm gonna guess similarly bad a minus point seven for Tapia. So yeah, slightly less well below it. <laughs> anyway, uh, that's it. That's a lot of baseball talk. So we're gonna move along right now. Jake, 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 Jake. How was your week? It's pretty good. Uh, what we do? Went to Taco Fest on Saturday. That's that was that was that's fun. what's up. Uh, I've it was the first like Toronto esque event. Been to in a long time. We talking food trucks? We talking cafeteria style? What, what's uh, what we talking both about kind of? It was like uh, stands and trucks mm. uh, from different places across the GTA that. Uh, make tacos and they just kind of had stands there's like a buy your tickets at the front kind of thing and then trade in your tickets for food tacos. and yeah. drink and each obviously each taco was worth a different amount of tickets kind of deal uh it was great it was a really good time was that ontario place i haven't been to ontario place in 20 years at least um I guess I've never been. I'm th- thinking about it. I don't I, I was like I went as like a kid when it was like still the sort of amusement park. Right. But uh yeah, this is for, I, I will say I I hope they keep doing stuff on the land cuz it's actually quite nice right by the water. Uh and it's a good space for things like this. Um, so yeah, I mean it seems like an obvious statement to like the waterfront event space should host events. Right. <laughs> You'd think. <laughs> Um, but no, it was a great time. We had we ate a lot of tacos and we had some had a margarita or two and it was actually a lovely little morning. Um, I will say, uh, advice the way they did sort of uh, entrance is you could buy tickets and they staggered like when your entrance was, uh-huh. so you could stay as long as you want. But like our entrance was you had to go in between eleven and one, uh, and I would say, uh, as we learned for all these kind of events. Uh, always buy the earlier entrance because we bla- we were getting ready to leave around two, and it uh-huh. was getting a little too crowded and a little too uh, King Street for us. Gotcha. Um, and we were saying if we had entered when we were leaving and seen that, we would have been like, nope. Right. Uh, but when we were there, it was it was great. It was just like families and people hanging out and just a uh, real chill vibe. And it was it was a really nice time. I enjoyed it. That's gonna be tough because you don't, you know, you don't eating tacos for breakfast, which is not, you know. I mean, I, no, I, I can no did. Yeah. I mean, we got there for noon, so it's technically lunchtime. That sounds perfect to me. That sounds like a perfect weekend day. Oh my, how yeah, lovely! It was very good. And uh, Cassie finally, uh, I sort of talked about it a few weeks ago. Her long eighteen-month dental nightmare is finally and officially over today. Tooth wife. Tooth wife. Everyone going crazy for the tooth wife. 
Everyone loves Tooth Wife. <laughs> uh, which is very nice and very good. And we're going to spend the week uh, eating food off the bone, which she hasn't been able to do for like a year and a half. Or if not longer, because she uh, was always afraid to do it beforehand. Right. For fear of losing teeth. So uh, ribs this week, do some wings on the weekend. Uh, all good things. Man, you are high on the proverbial hog over there. You know what? I try. Wow. The weather's getting better. It's summertime. You gotta have some, some positive times. Yeah, you got some vitamin D in your system. That's cl- that that much. Is I got clear, sunburned immediately. I'm really right. mad about it. I got one on my forehead, and I'm really mad about it. Forehead. That's tough. That sucks. No hat, right? No, I don't. No, I I don't look good in hats, don't so I, hats. I don't really wear them. But hot summer day, just to keep your head. I didn't. It wasn't that hot. It was like 20 degrees. I wasn't expecting to need it. And then boy, I was wrong. Tough scene over there. Truly, truly. Boy, oh boy, Jake. And uh, anything for Father's Day? Anything for anything for old Todd? Uh, no, nothing particularly exciting. Talked on the phone for a bit. That's yeah. That's what I got my dad for years. So yeah. <laughs> no question. That's and that, yeah. That's sort of the crux of what happened for me too. So how was uh, how was your first Father's Day? You, you know, a father. It's your day now. We're still we're still in like. Every day is not uh, not a fire drill, but we're sort of – every day is sort of very clearly focused around getting the kid eating and sleeping. So it's not like, you know, it's it, balloons don't fall from the ceiling and streamers go off. And, like, we're trying to keep Sam in his rhythm uh, and build his rhythm and get him in a place. So it was lovely. It was, it was very cool, uh, very touching to uh, – Get to be a father on Father's Day, I suppose. Very neat. Other fathers reaching out and saying happy first Father's Day, which is a neat little uh, secret handshake sort of club feel vibe. (laughs) Um, But just honestly, funnily enough, spent the day like fathering. Spent the day like uh, wanting to be very close to the kid. We went for a walk. We we sort of – we drove around. He, He was tough to get him to sleep on Saturday, so we just sort of drove around the city. Uh, for th- half an hour to get him to get him quiet. There was a drag show downtown. We didn't know. The streets were closed off. There was drag in the street. Um, so just sort of getting him out and getting him moving around. It was a quiet. It was a quiet week on that front. Just sort of just sort of dadding it up. And uh, well, I've got me a nice little grill focused box. I got some steak spice. I got oh, there uh, you go. an apron. I got a, a grilling apron. I got. Um, some steak thermometers, like little tiny thermometers that tell you what where the steak Hell is. Hell yeah. Yeah, very this. very clutch. And then a bunch of treats, you know, snacks and chocolate and, and things. Uh, and a nice little keychain locket uh, with my son's photo on it. So I got some got some nice touching stuff. And then yeah, just sort of just sort of chilling. Um, watching TV, not doing not doing a whole heck of a lot. Really quietly being quiet is what we're doing in this house. Getting ready for next weekend <laughs> when I think we're going to go away. Um, I have the Thursday and the Friday off next week. So um, hopefully going to go somewhere. And sort of a, getting everything in line uh, for that next week. This was a bit of a skip of a week in terms of um, anything too crazy or too important going down or, or really needing to be off the wall. Um, he turned two months was sort of the – on Friday he, he turned two months. That's a big deal. Nine weeks. Yeah. Getting closer to the – Getting closer to like, um, it's not like uh, red alert at all times. And it's closer right. to like you could sit him up with it with a ball and just sort of like not have to be an inch away from it at all times. That's sort of 
we're looking we're working towards that and i think um as well we're going to sort of change up melissa has said there's some stuff that she plans on changing up at three months when his sort of digestive system is at a different place and his abilities are in a different place we can sort of I could take on more responsibility feeding, which I've been dying to do because she's been doing she's done, she's done every feed since he's been alive, 65 straight <laughs> days, right. six to eight times a day. Uh, madness. She's already fed him hundreds of times, um, which is both nice and sort of really, really tiring. And he'll get closer to sleeping through the night. So we're just we're working towards the three month, six month uh, milestones to get us into like he's a he's a baby sort of zone. <laughs> <laughs> He's well, still a newborn, I, yeah. I welcome him to the just sit me down and give me a ball and we're good to go club. Yeah, we were talking we we're talking today about um you know, he's not into anything right now. He doesn't have any interests, right? He doesn't really know what anything is. And we were talking about like what are we gonna do if he gets into because you know, inevitably kids get into stuff, they get interested in things that are stupid and suck when you're an adult. You're just like, oh, yeah, I don't absolutely. care about this. But then we were like as an only child with no older brother, do, is it? Do we have to show him kids' television? Do we? Have I'm glad. So I was thinking this the other day. Our friends uh, Peter and Mel sent us a photo of uh, Pete watching some children's thing right. with their baby, and that was my thought as well. Like, not as not as like a criticism, but like, couldn't I just like. Like babies, don't, to them. babies don't know what things are. And until they go to school, they don't know anything about what other people, other people know about. Right. So, like, could I just, like, show a baby, like, you know, I'm not going to sit down with the, a baby and watch, like, The Wire. No. But, but, like, something that's not kids' entertainment? Normal TV? It's possible. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, like, yeah, I feel like you could just, you could raise your child on, like, Cheers and Fraser. Yeah, right? Is that crazy? They obviously, it, wouldn't, they obviously wouldn't get it. But like, do I'm they need obviously to get saying it? This, I'm obviously saying this as a person who, A, doesn't have children, and B, never will have children. Right. However, I feel like you could probably show the kids some Fraser, and it would be fine. Yeah, I guess that's I guess that's the question, right? Is, like, is the point of what you're showing them that they get it, like that they understand what they're watching, or that just, just that something's on and they pay attention to it? Right, that's. I guess that's the question, right? Yeah, I mean, like, I've always thought that, like, Drag Race is a great show to show children because it's all colors and bright right. lights and music, and it's, you know, it's fun. Probably so depends on like, the age. Hmm? It probably depends on the age, right? Because at yeah, a certain just, age, they're just looking at stuff. And then it just, right, I, exactly. It's just, it's big, it's bright, it's loud. It's they move so quick. The problem is they, they develop so quick. Is they, they, they won't get it one day, and then they will get it the next day. and then they. Will, I think will. it behooves you to just show your kids stuff you like because yeah. it's more fun for you and also it's a kid. And then you just lie to them, right? You lie right. to them about shows not existing. 100%. Totally. We'll see. I feel like that's one of those ones that I, I go out with that intention and then like very rapidly they figure it out and ask for things and I you're just like, yeah, whatever. Well, that's not going to happen for a bit though. No, not for a bit. Well, for now, it doesn't matter what we watch. Like, for now, I, we put Toy Story on today just to have something in the, in the background. Exactly. He, he wasn't, like, watching it. I put the Blue Jays, like, Blue Jays game on every day. He just doesn't – he doesn't take in what's happening. He just – there's noise and his eyes are drawn to it. Um, yeah. I just – I'm interested. I guess I guess that's probably a developmental thing. There's probably a, probably a degree of developmental thing to that. I don't think you're going to, like, answer. hurt your child's development by not showing them, like I – don't, I don't know what a kid's show is. 
seems now, I guess the only other thing is, seems now like uh, the danger with that sort of stuff is like, it seems like pretty likely we're going to have a, a, a little weirdo as a kid, probably. All kids are weirdos. Yeah. But you understand this, Jake. He's going to be an he's going to be an only child. You know what I mean? Look, as an only child who was also a total weirdo, could do worse. Yeah, this. You know, are you are you one hundred percent confident? Todd didn't uh, deny you children's programming. <laughs> Look, my first favorite band. We'll get into this in the first My first favorite artist was literally Bruce Springsteen, as a <laughs> as a like three year old. So, um. Uh, anyway. Excellent. We'll see. What, we'll see where we get to with that. We'll see where we get to with that. Um, interestingly enough. Uh, okay. Well, let's let other people pick the topics for us because we didn't have a ton in the old inside the old chest here this week. So we're going to dive into the mailbag after this. the first question on the mailbag this week which you can reach us at at less than jays on twitter less than jays at gmail.com or 833-714-7774 it's the voicemail line that listen we're paying for this thing if you're not gonna call we'll just turn it off fucking you know what i mean <laughs> Dude, we do that for you you know that our voice is on the show anyway we don't have to have a phone yeah, we're line. not going we're not going anywhere we don't have to have the phone line we can get rid of it we pay for it though that comes out of like you know what i mean yeah, it's expenses. It's expenses. And we do it so that people who listen to the show can be on the show. Nobody calls. I don't know. Start calling. Start calling is the point. You're hurting Zeus's feelings. Chase, you know, two or three against the, against the Yankees and no one's got... No one calls? Guess they're just not that big a fan <sighs> of the team or us. <laughs> And, look, and what are we giving them every week? We get, we tell them what we tell them what the news is a week before it happens. We give them nothing but correct <laughs> information. Apparently, uh, the good thing is this week we got a ton of reverse voice uh, reverse mailbag as well. That's great. Turns out People, not asking them like horribly deep questions about themselves is. The oh, don't you worry. There's going to be a week where we're in a mood <laughs> and that's coming back. Uh, anyway, we go to the mailbag. Ephus Curve. Uh, uh, interesting question. A little, a little memorabilia question. People, every week, people try to, try to sneak a memorabilia thing into us, and, and we, we say, we're not sentimental, sentimental guys. And then we think about it and come up with something. Ephus Curve asks us, which prop or set piece from a TV show would you like to own? This isn't really an answer to your question, but I know that Alec Baldwin kept all the suits he wore on 30 Rock, and I've always thought that was a great way to, like, keep memorabilia that's in a functional way. So I'll start with a uh, colloquial tale from my college days. It's not an answer. It's just a funny thing that happened to me in my life, which I think is also part of the point of the mailbag. Uh, Our neighbor house in college second year, we had a little house, six dudes, we had a neighboring house of six dudes. You have, you know, you have a little, not a war, but you have a little friendly rivalry. That house had the wheel from Uh Oh in the living room. Really? Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that it was. Uh, admittedly, as the as the rival house, it was like that. That is pretty cool. We had a we had a football toss 
arcade game in the basement. That was our counter. Damn, that's great. Yeah, and we had the basketball team party at our house too, Kegger. Um, yeah, I don't know how really. As someone who was on a television show and has no memorabilia at all from it, uh, I don't want to keep saying like I'm just, again. I'm just like it's. I feel like if I don't know, I don't think I would want to own anything from another show. This damn, this damn Jake early career bonfire. <laughs> Every week we get an answer that makes me just feel like, oh, come on, Jake. I've kept like, something from. No, that I should. I should have absolutely, absolutely. I should have, but I think that's my point. I think like I'm not interested in like if I were to knock on all the wood that exists, be cast on another show, and I had like a thing I used on all the time. I would want to keep that. Yeah. Like, whoever keep plays like Doctor Who should keep all their gizmos. As like props, that's cool, but like I don't want it. That's someone else's thing. Yeah, I like a show, but I'm not like intimately connected to it like you are if you're on it. Right. Like it's it's not mine. I don't care. Yeah. So my answer not so much a cop out as um, something that I want to own anyway, and it tying into a television show is a nice coincidence. Um, we're gonna call. I'm gonna call this Operation Fraser Mike. <laughs> um, on the show, on the hit television show, Frasier, Frasier speaks into an RE20, an Electro Voice RE20 microphone. Uh, it's also the microphone that they use on Blocked Party with John and Stefan. Um, I talked a couple weeks ago about, I was at that point where I was like, I either want to buy a nice piece of tech or never do this again. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Frasier mic is the thing that I want. That was that. That was the piece. It retails... It's not like uh, prohibitively expensive. It's not like a voiceover microphone. Like, it's like an industry standard uh, radio microphone. The Fan 590 uses the RE27, um, which is just has a directional difference, but otherwise it's the same mic. Um, they are the industry standard radio microphone. Would the audio difference be shockingly different between that and the Rode pod mic that I'm currently using? Almost certainly not. Uh, certainly also because I'm in a basement and half the time we record this episode, the air conditioner is going on in the background and, and <laughs> I have to noise reduce my audio and it sounds hollow. <laughs> that would not change. But uh, if we get to uh, – I'm going to – let me take a look here. If we get to 60 patrons, if we add, if we add 15 patrons before the end of the season – I will buy the Fraser mic. Operation Fraser mic. Um, I like it. I like it a lot. Uh, so that's my answer to that. I guess I have to put that in the in the main show. I can't go behind the paywall. People have already paid it. The Patreon people have already paid for that, so they already know. Uh, Matt V, which is which is preferable, a middling to bad City Connect jersey or the continue to wear the Rogers red? I want them to do a City Connect jersey. Come Me on. Me too. With with, with with how good this team has been, quite frankly, at giveaways and marketing and uh the social content and like they've done it the last two three years it's been really impressive how much how how much that team has stepped up in the in the content giveaway game um i i think they would do a good job at the city connect jerseys and with with how good we've seen designers uh for the raptors and and some of the maple leaf stuff that they've done recently the city's had a nice run of like custom unique jerseys. I, I really wanted to see, to see a City Connect jersey. I think there's a lot to draw from from Toronto. So that's an easy, long answer for me. There is something endearing about a bad and ugly City Connect jersey. Yeah. There is nothing endearing about the red jerseys or about your nationalist 
outfit du jour. That's that, the thing is that that's what would end up happening with the City Connects. I guarantee it. Right. It'd yes. Be a big ass Canadian flag. I guess that's the fear, right? But the question is a really ugly, stupid one. Yeah. And I think either I think there's two directions to go with a City Connect jersey. I think the right way to go about it is something indigenous or honoring something of value in the city. Or just get like Manoa to design it like he did with that t-shirt and make it as gaudy and awful as possible. Right. The worst thing they could do is have the City Connect jersey, as you say, just be a giant fucking maple leaf or something. Which to me seems pretty likely. 100%. Uh, 100% that's what it's going to be. But you take my point. Uh, Ryan, uh, from the old, old Mariners fan, Ryan, Shappy on the street, love to hear from Ryan. Uh, a broken down Mariners fan, yeah, they've hit rock bottom this week. Uh, I am curious to what the lifespan of a manager should, manager should be. I'm very, very well versed in the lifespan of an NHL coach, but not an MLB manager. When does the messaging wear off and the players tune them out? When should and shouldn't you make a change? Uh, we have obviously had our share in the last couple of years of Charlie conversations about um, you know, even if you think he's doing a good job, what phase of the game is he here to get them from? And I think what you see with the Mariners and what can be the danger there is you you brought in a guy to take them from no expectations to surprising people. Is that same guy the one that wants to take you uh, from, you know, expecting to be good to delivering on expectations? Those, are, those, are, those can be two different things. Those can be two different things. We've yeah. seen, we've noted... A, a dramatic change in in Charlie Montoyo this year, right? He's 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 fighting battles. He's getting into arguments. He's sort of uh, done got being to- patient. He got tossed on Saturday. Got tossed again. Yeah, absolutely. Fighting about calls. Um, they they shift more than any team in the league. Like he's the, the, he clearly has the keys to like be creative and do uh, interesting things. So ultimately, this comes down to a question of like. What can you tell a manager's impact is? And this is where, you know, we talked recently um, about stuff like clutch hitting. Is that is that have anything to do with anything? Or, um, you know, underperformance is always going to get you if that's your expectation. But, you know, it's it's worth pointing out, like, what what is the team... What, what's, what's coming up short with the team? If it's it, like a lot of the times manager stuff will be like if, it, if the bullpen is fucking up, that, that tends to go on the manager, right? As like he's making the choices and putting them in a, in a bad place. Uh, if, if the lineup, if you know playing time doesn't seem to be getting doled out to the players uh, who deserve it. Like I, I think this example this year for the Jays would be like if they hadn't ran with Espinal early in the year or if they hadn't changed yeah. the way that they're approaching Kirk with his great hitting. I think that's where you look to what the manager is doing in terms of messaging, in terms of being tuned out, it can be tough because baseball is such a weird game in that way. So you sort of, I, I tend to go to the things that I know a manager influences, which is lineup, which is bullpen decisions, um, and handling the media is also part of it. And, um, you know, we saw here with this team as well, like last year, getting to be themselves, getting to have fun, getting to have that vibe. Um, you can sort of tell if people are having a good time in the dugout or not. And if, if a team is able to either fight through adversity, keep having fun through adversity, it depends on the makeup of the players. But I think uh, if he's a fit with, with how the players want to play the game as well, I think it's a thing to look at. That's a, that's a lot of answer there, but um, there's no solid way to look at it. It's sort of, it's sort of a, a fit and a feel thing. And I think you will know if it's right or not. Yeah, I think in baseball more than any other sport, if the manager's doing his job, you don't even really notice the manager exists. 
Yeah. Like, a bad baseball manager is very noticeable. But it's not like basketball where a coach can change up something on the fly and all of a sudden he's a genius. Like, I don't... Other than, you know, shifting, I suppose, or like, as you said, personnel decisions, there's not really a baseball equivalent that I can think of off the top of my head of, like, Nick Nurse going to the box and one in 2019 kind of thing. Right. So I think that because of that managers sort of wear it's very obvious when a manager has worn out his welcome and i think it happens quickly and it spirals uh you know the jays are playing the white Sox right now what's happening with tone la Russa seems pretty you know i if his name wasn't tone la Russa, he's probably fired by now mm-hmm. based on how that's going because it's pretty obvious things aren't going well there and it's pretty obvious to your point in terms of the clubhouse that those are in, are issues that start from the top and I think with the Mariners, you know, if, if the, as you said, it also s- s- sort of fits with what the team's goals are. If the team's goals are to take that next step and it's not happening, then after a year of that, you've got to ask the serious questions. Yeah. Uh, so to answer the question, I feel like a baseball manager, when a team is ready, because as we know in baseball, teams just stay bad forever if they want to. But when a team is ready, I think you get like a good two, three years before it's like, all right, this is clearly not the space we need to be in. Yeah, you got to evaluate when you're in that next phase of the team. I think yeah. that's the important thing. I think that's for where the sure. Mariners are. So um, not crazy to be asking the question. That is it for the mailbag, Jake. A lot of stuff going on. A lot of heavy episode. We hefty little motherfucker. So we got to go through here, and we're going <laughs> to do the reverse mailbag and say goodbye after this. Jake, reverse mailbag last week. I think it was your call? I yes? it was, yes. And we got a bunch of responses because we didn't ask them to name their deepest fears and admit <laughs> to us when they <laughs> thought most about <laughs> being in the dumps. Uh, do you remember the question from last week, Jake? I do. I believe it was uh, your first favorite band and your first actual favorite band. And if you had an explanation for us in the, in the middle there, um, you were allowed to share it. I will say my first band... Uh, the first band that I bought a, I bought, I bought two CDs together the first time I bought music. I bought Wu-Tang Clan, 36 Chambers, and Hanson's Middle of Nowhere at the same time. <laughs> I had that Hanson on cassette. Which is, which is a way to say that I was, early on, very much like whatever people will like me if I listen to it, right? Yeah. It was like, I knew, yes, I knew same. that, I knew that girls liked Hanson and I knew that, uh, Wu-Tang Clan 36 Chambers was was the coolest rap album possible at the time. Uh, so, th- and then the first band that I think I, like, claimed as my own was probably Korn, where I was like, Korn is mm. the cool, grade eight, I was like, Korn is the coolest thing on the planet when I was in grade <laughs> eight. So that would be, that would be, though, in that, that is, that, even that's still, like, I want people to think I'm cool. Uh, sort of music. So if if even that doesn't count, it's probably the answer is probably John Mayer. To be honest with you. Wow, really? Yeah. So I've seen. This can blow your mind. I've seen John Mayer in concert. I think six times. That is genuinely surprising for many reasons. Isn't that wild? That is wild. I I, I his very first album. I I was going through uh, my first like 
relationship. I was like sort of going through like the, the ups and downs, like the whole thing of like falling in love and not being sure if it was even going to happen and then like dramatically breaking up. Uh, all that happened while I was listening to John Mayer's first album. So it really stuck with me. Wow, that is genuinely surprising. Isn't it wild? So I guess the, the, the first answer is like a, a trio of corn. <laughs> trio of corn, <laughs> Hanson, <laughs> and Wu-Tang Clan. Uh, and then the second one would be John Mayer. Huh. All right. I'm sure yours is going to be better than John Mayer. Uh, yeah, I, I sort of said earlier, my first favorite band was Bruce Springsteen mm-hmm. um, in the uh, Little Weirdo uh, phrase. I uh, There's a story that I've been told many times. I don't remember this, of course, because I was like three. But uh, in kindergarten, all the kids were going around saying what their favorite music was. And it was all like Raffi and Sharon Lewis and Bram and whatever. And my answer was Bruce Springsteen because I have been a cynical 34-year-old man my entire <laughs> life. I remember one of those in grade five, and my answer to that was America. You know, the band made. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> Horse with no name. I mean, they had, they had, they had tunes, man. Uh, uh, Mr. Golden Hair Surprise. Um, that's so funny. Yeah, I, and like I genuinely did and do love Springsteen. But it was of course. Like, but as we were talking before, I wasn't raised on like a lot of kids' music. For sure. Um, which, you know, I think is fine. Um, and yeah. then I think my my first favorite band I think would have been Green Day. Makes sense. Uh, I know I had I know I had a poster on my wall, uh, and I remember being on vacation once. I think we were in Vancouver and going to a record store, and being like, my mind was blown that Dookie wasn't their first album. I mean, I listen, that. you can't get a better '90s kid figures that discovers totally. punk. That's Ab- absolutely, and it was, and like you know. I want. I also very much did the before I sort of discovered my own taste in music. Uh, I also very much did the what do what do people think is cool stuff. Yeah. Like I, I you know, I had one of the first CDs I bought was uh, Chronic two thousand one or two thousand whatever. <sighs> what a because, banger of an album! Like <laughs> an album I like a lot more now than I did when I bought it. Yeah, 36 Chambers was the same way. A bunch of it, I was like, this is so crass. I can't get through this. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I don't understand the references to this at all. Whereas Uh, now I'm like, oh, this is great. But it was very much like, uh, oh, everyone else likes this. Okay. You had to be there. Late 90s, early 2000s. You had to be there. Yeah, absolutely. There were lines in the sand. Uh, And to finish off my, my, the John Mayer surprise, uh, my wife and I are driving back from London, London the other day. Uh, and Maroon 5 came on the radio, and she said to me, she said, you know, I never said this to you, but I actually really like Maroon 5, she said to me. Huh. And I said, that's okay. Uh, I like Ed Sheeran, I said. I also like Ed Sheeran. He just writes, you know, pop songs. That's what he does. I, get, I, I know that he gets a lot of stick, but I am also... I wouldn't go as far as to say I'm Team Sheeran, but uh, I definitely like a lot of Ed Sheeran's songs. He does a thing now. He does a thing now where, like, he... I don't know if you if you knew this. He goes on like, like reggae, like dance hall songs. Or like he's yeah. like a he's like an incredible featured artist on a bunch of like completely out of the genre songs, and he's incredible on them. My thing with Ed Sheeran, and this is kind of silly to say to one of the biggest pop stars in the world, but I prefer my Ed Sheeran to not be pop. Ed Sheeran, I think right. his pop music is not great. But when he's doing his like commercial folky stuff, I'm there all day. Yeah, uh, yeah. That, this is the John Mayer's story. Very similar. He become he becomes self aware, and you're like, all right, well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. 
time. That's not exactly what I'm trying. What we're trying to do here. You were just a, you were a loser with an acoustic guitar. It was great. What have you done? Uh, a success. Jake. What can you do? Uh, we go to the reverse mailbag answers. Piri Piri Pie, the first answer, was first favorite band. Prince and the Revolution. Listen to Purple Rain at 10 years old. Blew their mind. Uh, Prince and the Purple Rain. That's a that's a seems, pull. That seems fair. Aging yourself a little bit. But I like I love this one from Andrew <laughs> Robertson. I think a lot of people are going to have this one. Or a lot of people's answer actually is this, and maybe they don't even know it. First favorite artist had to be Weird Al Yankovic. Yeah, I mean. I mean, yeah. I'm pretty Weird sure the first. I'm pretty sure the first CD I bought. Yeah. Not not tape. Like, not music I bought with my money, but I'm pretty sure the first CD I bought was Weird Al. You know who else was huge at that, at that time of your life is President of the United States. <laughs> you and Sean. Uh, with songs that sounded vaguely familiar about Jurassic Park, Star Wars, and living in the fridge. Yeah. Perfect for a great little eight-year-old. 100%. Yeah. Uh, I was into music at a very young age thanks to Big Shiny Tunes album, so the follow-up part would be changed week to week. Anything from No Doubt to Blink-182 eventually landing on Radiohead. Mm. Being the band I would call my favorite now. Great answer, Andrew. Thank you so much. Steve Bernie, reverse mailbag, first favorite band, Kiss, mid-70s, comic book reading kid, makeup and costumes reminded me of comic book characters. First favorite I really listened to, U2, The Unforgettable Fire, came out before they became insufferable. Very, uh, very Gen X right there. I will go to bat for early U2 any day. Early U2, it's one of those ones, like these... These uh, super famous bands, a lot of the early stuff is good. It's <laughs> sort yeah. of the way it works. The, like the, the, <laughs> the famous bands that everyone's like, oh, boomer. Like they were really good at one point. That's why they're so famous. Uh, James Nielsen didn't see this one coming. First fave was Criss Cross when I was seven. Ooh. <laughs> uh, first real fave was Our Lady Peace, 1997-2002. Powerhouse, Our Lady Peace. Our Lady Peace, if it weren't for Hanson... Corn era, Our Lady Peace would have been the answer to my first favorite. Yeah, would, I, li- would I, my liked first? Early, I liked Our Lady Peace a lot for a minute, and now I very much don't. Man, clumsy. <laughs> Holy moly. Uh, everywhere. That song was fucking everywhere. Yeah. That album, pardon me. Um, both are thoroughly just nostalgia now, though I impressed myself with how many lyrics I'm totally crossed out. I remember the 30 years later. No <laughs> doubt. We talked about that with, uh, what was it, SR71, where it's like, oh, I guess I know every, <laughs> I know every word in the song still. <laughs> Even though I wasn't, uh, even though it wasn't a huge, even though it wasn't even a huge day for that. Uh, Don't even own the, the CD. Don't even own that CD, but I know every word to that song. Go to the email address, uh, lessonjays.gmail.com. Graham Clendenning, first favorite artist, Bare Naked Ladies, favorite artist on my own, Billy Talent. I've uh, been a huge fan of the show since the score days and sports sold my first ever favorite podcast. And Les the Jays still top of the rotation today. Thank you, Glenn. I feel like Bare Naked Ladies and Weird Al. Uh, occupy a very similar easy way to be a first favorite thing because they introduce you to show so many genres you don't know exist and you don't know totally. what they are like I'm thinking of like on the Weird Al's like his parody songs that were like genre parodies and not song parodies and you're like oh I like that song and then you go back years later it's like oh that happens to be one of my favorite genres now what a coincidence yeah I think Bare Naked Ladies are similarly good for that anyway uh, yeah Bare Naked Ladies a lot of the ones named nailed named today. Um, absolutely right in my wheelhouse. Great answers uh, to the questions right there. Um, loving it, loving it. Um, I think that's it for the for the reverse mailbag. I don't see any other ones. Unless, I, unless there's one late, I'll just do one last check here. People love to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, that's it. Uh, great questions. Thank you so much uh, for the reverse. Mailbag answers. Uh, I'm going to ask the reverse mailbag question this week, and I'll be a little bit close to the one you asked last week. And I'm going to 
do the same thing. I'm going I'm to call back, very similar to the one you just asked, and call back to earlier this episode where we were talking about kids' television shows. Ooh. I'm going to ask you, I had these shows that I really liked when I was in grade school, very young, you're first remembering, you know, you see kids today now, it's the Paw Patrol, it's their backpack, it's their Halloween costume, it's everything, it's everything for them, right? I was like, what was your childhood uh, TV show or movie that was sort of like became your whole personality as a kid? Ooh, that's a great one. And then what was your, we'll, we'll say, what was your college show? What, what was your what was your early twenties favorite show, and what okay. was your grade school single digit age personality show? We will yeah. answer those next week on the reverse mailbag. Thank you so much. If you're looking for more of this show, Patreon.com/slash/LessThanJays. Please give us a follow and a subscribe and a rating on all your favorite podcast platforms. We really appreciate it. Send us a message, LessThanJays at gmail.com at LessThanJays on Twitter or. Dial the phone number. We pay for it, for God's sakes. 833-714-7774. We will play it on the air. Lowest standards in Blue Jays podcasting. You say it. We play it. 833-714-7774. Thank you so much, Jake. Anything to add? No. <laughs> well, great. Uh, that is it for another week. Thank you so much for being a part of Less Than Jays.